Well, in seminary, I got exposed to Pauline theology, and um, it's not like a fancy term, but it's just the theology of Paul. And every morning before class, or most mornings, I'd go for sort of a walk-run, you know, for a few miles, and I would listen to a podcast, and they would interview sort of the latest and greatest books on Paul by theologians, current theologians, and... um, it was about you know books on his life, books on his theology, and, and there have been a flood of books in the last 10 years about Paul. I mean, the market's flooded. In fact, most published Christian publishers are like, no more, no more. We don't, we don't need any more. There's so many. Uh, but I decided, you know, I want to really, really sort of dive into Paul, his theology, his life, and uh, it was just an enjoyment for me. It was not always something going on in the classroom. It was sort of my own private sort of exploration um, and it's so surprising that all this uh, has been, you know, sort, sort of uh, all of this interest in Paul has been made because he was sort of an unimpressive figure in his own time. Um, it made me think of like Herman Melville who wrote Moby Dick in the 18, 1851 and it was not a commercial success. In fact, he kind of saw him, he was disappointed with his own you know, uh, career, and it wasn't until around 1930 that Moby Dick became the sort of blockbuster that it was. And so Paul and his theology is sort of the same way. Um, All these centuries later, we esteem Paul as we rightly should as this giant of the faith and developer of Christian theology, but in his own lifetime, he was sort of an unimpressive person. Um, It's believed by some theologians, again, again, it's speculation, but that he wasn't very good looking and wasn't a great speaker and was probably hard to be around for very long because of his overpowering zeal and pushiness. And um, what's most impressive is what has lasted down through the ages is the amount of ministry Paul was able to accomplish. The amount of ministry Paul was able to accomplish. God had given him this incredible vision for the spread of the gospel, which was empowered by this this one earth-shattering idea, which is that Jesus of Nazareth, not Caesar, was the world's true emperor and lord. A radical, radical idea, especially when you think of who Jesus was and where he came from, this sort of backwater of Judea and Galilee, this message, it's a, it was a radical idea that Paul put forward. The mystery, essentially, Paul was revealing was that this thing that was hidden throughout the ages was that in Christ, God had planned all along to include the Gentiles into his covenant, hence Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And If you were a Jewish believer like the rest of the apostles, you probably thought, who wants to go preach to the Gentiles? Who wants wants to go into those hostile places where they worship all those idols? Like, no, this Jerusalem, this is the spot. And Paul said, you guys take Jerusalem. I'll get everywhere else. And so his vision and the amount of ministry he was able to accomplish is just staggering. It's mind-blowing. But what we often don't recognize are the unsung heroes of Paul's accomplishments who work behind the scenes 
through their generous support of his ministry and vision. And one such person was a woman named Phoebe, Romans 16, 1 through 2. This is the very end of the book of Romans, and Paul is giving sort of a bunch of shout-outs to a bunch of people, people in Rome, people who knew people in Rome, and he's mentioning names, but he starts off with Phoebe. He says, I commend to you, again, he's wrapping up the book of Romans, and we went through Romans last year, so you maybe may remember this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Show her a bunch of love. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been, get this, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Of all of the thousands of verses in the Bible, Phoebe gets two all to herself. When we stand before God to give an account of what we did with what God gave us, she will give the breathtaking answer, I used my wealth to help the Apostle Paul accomplish his ministry. A few weeks back, you may remember, we did a bonus sermon to our misquoted series entitled, we asked the question, is money evil? This sort of trope in our culture, money is the root of all evil, and we sort of corrected that and explored what the Bible really says, but we asked the question, is money evil? And the answer was, it's not money, but our relationship to it that can be evil. If we love it so much that it becomes our life's pursuit, it's an idol that ruins us, right? If our entire life's pursuit is chasing after money, well, that's wicked and it's idolatry. But if God is our pursuit, then money in our hands is just a tool, right? It's neither good nor evil. We can use it for good, for God's glory, for God's kingdom. And Phoebe is a model representative of this. Someone who used her wealth as a patron or a benefactor to support the ministry. Now Paul was no slouch. He didn't just sit around twiddling his thumbs. We know that he worked, he was a tent maker and so you know he had his side hustle, okay? And whenever he could, he worked. But I suppose that there was probably a time when he needed to focus solely on the work of ministry as he was traveling and starting up new church plants in different cities in Asia Minor and the Mediterranean world. And John Reinhardt, founder of Gospel Patrons, imagines Phoebe saying this to Paul at some point in his ministry. Paul, your tents are good, but your preaching's better. Let me handle your ministry expenses while you focus on advancing the gospel. And now she's enshrined forever in Paul's letter to the Romans, and look at what Paul calls her. He says, and this is instructive for us, he says, our sister Phoebe, she's a servant of the church, she has been a patron. Now, I like to sort of derive three preaching points 
And sometimes I have to, you know, squeeze it in like a, you know, like a, like a square peg into a round hole. But I guess I kind of see in that Phoebe's stewardship of her time, talents, and treasure, right? She spent time with the church and getting to know Paul, and they referred to her as a sister in Christ. She used her gifts and her talents to serve the church, and then finally, she used her treasure, gave and supported the church financially, and became a patron. And this is a loaded term in the first century, the idea of the sort of patron-client relationship of the first century. So to call Phoebe a patron is a loaded term. She's a benefactor of the church. Would that God would remember us the same way? That you and I are brothers and sisters, servants of the church, that we were patrons, benefactors of the work of the ministry. So I want to talk just a little bit this morning about gospel patrons. You know, a patron is a person who gives financial support or uh, support to a person or an organization or a cause or activity. Sometimes you go into a business and you spend money there and there's a sign on the window that says something like, thank you for your patronage, right? You're supporting that business by shopping there and by purchasing goods from them. Well, the Bible mentions patrons who financially supported the gospel ministry. This morning we're talking about provision for the vision. Last week we talked about the vision. This morning we're talking a little bit about provision. And the Bible mentions patrons who financially supported the gospel ministry. Now, we just sort of glaze over that, I think, when we read the Bible. We may read something like what Paul wrote about Phoebe, not think twice about it, and that's understandable. But to slow down and talk about it for a moment is important. In Luke 8, 1 through 3, there are other examples, unlikely patrons. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Jesus' ministry was funded in part by three women with names. What's instructive for us is Jesus' ministry was not provided for with sort of manna that came down from heaven, coins that fell out of the sky, but through faithful people who committed themselves and determined to give a portion of their income to support the gospel ministry. They were faithful followers of Christ who used their means to support the gospel. And here's the main point, all right? Here's the big takeaway. We are God's method of gospel provision. We are. God the Father could have chosen Jesus to to have been born to an aristocrat, sort of a first century trust fund baby, if you can put it that way. And all of his needs 
would have been provided for, for his preaching and his teaching and, and all of the healing, all, all of his, the resources he needed would have been taken care of, you know, but that's not what happened. He could have used his power miraculously anytime him and the disciples were hungry to snap his finger and food and bread and supplies just miraculously popped up for him and the disciples, but that's not what happened. He could have taken his amazing speaking skills on the road, like many first century Greek, you know, rhetoricians, and charged and made a bunch of money on a speaking circuit. But that's not how the story goes. No. When God the Father wanted to provide for his son to preach the gospel, he called people to step forward in faith and give generously because this is how God works. This is the primary way that God works. He raises up people to give. He calls all of us to be patrons of the work of the kingdom. You see, we are God's method. Last week we talked a little bit about how our vision is to be a prophetic voice in our culture, our increasingly post-Christian, our increasingly godless culture. We want to be a prophetic voice. We want to be able to stand up for what's true, and we want to be able to speak into the culture with the gospel and be mindful of those who right now are chasing down answers. We're, we live in an anxious age, don't we? A confused culture. And our vision is to be a prophetic voice in the times that we live in. We know that our sovereign God won't let the church be destroyed, but we don't just sit back and say, well, God will, God will figure it all out. We talked about this last week. Know that God sovereignly uses our means of spirit-filled agency to complete the work of ministry. In other words, God uses us in our efforts. God uses means to provide for the vision. He uses our faith-filled generosity, and that's the miracle. The miracle of God's provision is that through the Spirit, he motivates the hearts of his people to be his hands and feet, to generously support the vision of ministry in the kingdom. In a few seconds, I'm going to call up Matt Ring, who chaired our finance committee this year. This is the first year we've had a finance committee, and he's going to share with you our visionary budget for 2022. And we're going to take some questions at the end. But before that, I just want to say in conclusion that the people here at Highlands Church are generous. You're very generous people. You've been patrons and benefactors of the vision and ministry here at this church. You've given of your time. You've given of your talents. You've given of your financial resources. And as a pastor, I just want to share that that's incredibly encouraging to me. And I hope you're encouraged, those of you who give, to know that the people sitting next to you also are sacrificially committed to the mission and values of Highlands Church, just like you are. Paul makes this statement in the New Testament 
that should be a verse that we look to when we think about how God feels about what we do with our finances. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 7. Each one must give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's implicit in that passage is that giving is determined beforehand. If there is anything I can say, if I was having a conversation with someone over coffee and they said, how should I think about giving? I've not been much of a giver. I would say, I think the most important thing is that it's something you determine beforehand to do. It doesn't catch you by surprise on Sunday morning and go, oh, gee, how much do I got left in the account? It's something we determine. We dedicate to God beforehand. And Paul says that we ought to give as we have determined. In other words, as, as sort of as we've pledged to give. This is, the, this is the money I've put aside in my budget to give, and I'm going to be faithful to that. It's challenging. It's not always easy, and that's why, you know, we call it a sacrifice. Giving is sacrificial. But God desires to hold a place of priority in our lives, and one of the practical ways we prove his value to us is by giving back to him what he rightly deserves, what rightly belongs to him because it's all his anyway. It's an act of faith. It says, God, I believe you can supply all of my need with less. This is what I have, but I'm going to dedicate by faith a portion of it to the work of ministry and believe with what's left over, you can provide and supply all of my needs. It doesn't make math sense, but it makes faith sense. It's not walking by sight, it's walking by faith. I'm going to pray, and then Matt's going to come up and share with us our visionary budget for 2022. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for these gospel patrons in Scripture, benefactors who are examples to us that Scripture is satisfied to mention that 21 centuries later, we are encouraged by a model of, of patronage those who dedicated resources to support Jesus and the disciples, to support Paul and his ministry. In fact, as the gospel went forward in the Mediterranean world, all these centuries later, it has reached us in North America, the ends of the earth. And Father, you provided through our agency of faithful giving. We pray now, O oh God, that you would touch our hearts and help us to be faithful in every area of our lives, O oh God all for the glory of your name and kingdom, that Christ might be made famous in the world. In his name we pray, amen.